Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. This is the Team Ejection Podcast for May 23rd, 2023, episode 576, and well, first of all, let us know if you can hear us all out there in YouTube land. We'll say hello. Um, and second of all, you could tell from the episode title, which I thought was very clever, ruthlessly clever, that we have two things with tears to talk about. One, the end of the sun season, actually probably won't be many tears, even if it had just happened, you kind of already heard that we were sort of resigned to our fate in the last episode and then we're going to talk a little bit of first impressions of tears of the kingdom there'll be mild spoilers but nothing serious we'll stay away from anything super heavy in fact for the most part we're going to be talking about things you can experience in the first two or three hours of the game so nothing too heavy there but let's start with the sun's wrap up we have to do it because it's the end of the season and there's no sean but i don't know that he's necessary for this so um like we kind of talked about at the end of the last episode, we were off last week. Two weeks ago, the Suns had just leveled up the series 2-2, two to two, and yet we weren't super excited for a few different reasons, and some of those reasons came to fruition, and we lost the next two. Yeah. Um, uh, also, out there in YouTube, you'll have to let me know if, it, if you hear a super bad echo, because I, I tried plugging in headphones to make this go away, and then they didn't work. So that's my life right now. It's just a mess of disgustingness. So anyway, um... So, question is, sons, um, yeah, I remember talking about people, two people before game six and uh, being asked the question, how do you feel? If it, you know, we, we've won two games at home. How do you feel? I'm like, it doesn't matter. Even if we win game six, we're not winning in seven. And I think the uh, performance of the Nuggets against the Lakers has really solidified that as far as hmm, the Nuggets were just really good. And maybe the Lakers were had a bit of an easier path. I think they faced some flawed teams. But still, they they made it, and uh, the Nuggets are just really, really good. Yeah, and I don't think they've gotten enough credit. We know the Heat didn't get enough credit, although they also slept walked through the entire regular season, so I don't know how much credit they deserved before this run. They deserve plenty now. They are losing to the Celtics, so it might not be two sweeps in the conference finals, which frankly is a little embarrassing for the NBA. Um, but anyway, to so the original point, Denver, yeah, I mean... I talked all season that I was not a believer in their defense. I don't know that I'm a believer. However, they have solved the formula much in the way that the Suns needed to, not this year or recently, but in the mid-2000s, which is elite offense and average defense. Because I don't think their defense yeah. is great still. But they were 15th in the regular season, and that's all you need if you're going to be elite offensively. Because the last time we saw them, I guess they were like 26th defensively. Now they were missing players, and they were still playing awful players like, you know, I don't know. Facundo Campazzo. So, like, it's different. But the point is, that team never had a shot because they couldn't defend worth a lick. Now they have defenders around Jokic, and Jokic is playing better defense to his credit as well, to where they can't be abused on that side of the ball and they can pick you apart offensively. It's a tough team. 
Yep, it's tough, um, and it does not help that we decided to have a coach that just said, hmm, offensive scheme? Nah, nah, we don't need that. We've got two superstars, let's go. Like, that bothered me a lot. Like, I, we talked about it a couple weeks ago in that, but, like, it, the the idea of, like, well, Booker and Durant have to be great, it's like, yeah, you can do that for stretches, but you also need to, I don't know, have a, a better offensive game plan. I, I just didn't see it. And so, well, Monty lost his job for it, so there we go. Yeah, and that's asking a lot. We talked about how fun it was just to watch Booker transcend into what appears to be superstardom. We'll have to see what next season holds, and, and that level is not going to be sustainable for any long period of time, regular season or playoffs. We also know that Durant was a bit of a question mark all year, and the ankle stuff after he got traded to the Suns, I think, certainly didn't help. You can talk about rhythm. You can talk about learning plays. Point five is easy enough conceptually, and we even mentioned like Durant's the most plug-and-play guy in the league. The fact remains that was a tough task for anybody, even Durant, because he basically played eight games. And yes, there are a few practices, but for the most part in the regular season, you don't have a lot of chances just to be like, all right, today is just a practice day. We're just going to run through some offensive sets and get it to speed. The regular season doesn't really afford that. So we mentioned I didn't feel like this was the window only, which is why I was a lot less stressed. If this was a rental of Durant, then this would be like, I don't know, apocalyptic. You know, we didn't win, and now Durant's gone, or whatever. It's the first of three years to come, and there are still severe question marks about what to do with this roster, how to improve it. Do you trade Paul? Do you release him? Do you trade Aiton? Where else can you find help? There's a lot to be figured out in this offseason, but I'm at least taking some hope from the fact that you give a full offseason to get everybody healthy, and then a full training camp with whatever roster's coming in to hopefully be prepared for a really big year next year. Yep. It has to come in. I mean, the coach has to get in. The coach has got to be the right hire. has got to be able to implement a system and take that and have the roster that you're going to run with basically for the season in training camp so we can push it out. You know, uh, we had that continuity from 21 to 22, which was really nice and I think helped us a lot in the regular season. Obviously, it ended in a epic failure as far as uh, 22 goes in the playoffs with Game 7 against the Mavs. But uh, I think that if you look at us who do we trade do we trade paul do we try to release him do we i think releasing paul is not a great idea because i think you can find other avenues potentially to trade him down the road um you don't free up cap space necessarily by just uh, you know releasing him so the only thing you can do is if you have a plan to have a couple mid-level guys that we can then afford under the apron by re- releasing Paul, then maybe. But other than that, Aiton, I think, is your best bet to try to get some depth because we need depth and we need players who can be here and can have fill a role that we didn't have in the playoffs last year. And maybe ones that play hard every night and yeah. um, without, hesitancy, so without hesitancy because it's not so much effort with Aiton. Like I talked about a couple weeks ago, is to me, I'm realizing more and more, it's just he doesn't know what to do in certain situations and he freezes up. And I, I think I've talked about it before is I, I get that to an extent. If you're not confident in yourself, if you are questioning, and especially basketball, where every decision needs to be instantaneous and you can't think about it, and if you start thinking, you're already a step behind. So if he's doing that and has that confidence shaken, he just doesn't know what to do. Man, he's got to have another opportunity under a lower pressure situation to really just figure that out. And we've seen this before in Phoenix. Uh, to me, a cautionary tale here is Goran Dragic. Now, Dragic was not a number one pick, so it's not the same situation. But we all remember Goran Tragic, 
which isn't even how you say his name, but still, I mean, it rhymed sort of. It, it looked the same as far as the words go. And if anything, Dragic was in his own head in a way where he was trying too hard. And again, I'm not saying Aiden doesn't try. But what I mean is, like, he was like, oh, I'm going to figure something out. Uh, uh, yeah, you. And so, again, he wasn't letting the game come to him, but his way of compensating for that was like, well, we're just going to try even harder and make even more mistakes. And it took basically Alvin Gentry being like, all right, you're not getting yanked when you do that. You're going to have to figure it out. He was a bench player trying to figure bigger, uh, find a bigger role. Aiton has always been a starter since he came into the league because he was the number one pick. I do think there's a chance somehow that he finds it. I don't think it's going to happen in a Phoenix uniform, and I don't think it's going to happen at all. But there is the possibility that either a new head coach here or elsewhere or a clean slate somewhere else might be the missing piece because for all of his faults, Aiton does still put up 18 and 10 and on efficient numbers, has great footwork, great agility, great athleticism. It's just he's got Alex Len hands and a questionable motor. So it's like if he was a number 12 pick, we'd probably love DeAndre Ayton, but he's a number one, and he went before Luka, so that stigma is going to follow him for the rest of his career unless he corrects. Well, because of that number one, because of the precedent, the guy, he had you had this idea of what he could do. You saw it in 2021. I mean, game one of the finals, he had a 2019 game. Probably should have had a 2020 game. Thanks, Chris Paul. But yeah. like, we saw the potential there. And then when it's not fulfilled and then you get $30 million a year, man, that's a recipe for people really turning on you really fast. And he's an NBA player, by all means. Like, he is going to last. He'll have a career. I mean, he can. he's a big body who's mobile, um, can defend well. He's not going to like be out of the league like a uh, Dragon Bender type of, di- type of deal. But, yeah, whether he's going to be a superstar and a max player, once this contract is up, I don't see it. It's clear he's an NBA-level starter. Mm-hmm. There's probably 10 better centers than him in the league, which is only a third. So, like, he's a good player, and maybe not max money good. But regardless, like you said, he's not going to fall out of the league. He's not going to disappear. There's no danger of that. But it is a question of return. And maybe this is where Mikhail Bridges helps. You know, you can say, well, when Bridges left, he really took off. And the answer is, well, he was getting 30 shots a game. So that helped. And he was doing that before when Booker was hurt. And everyone seems to forget that. But we didn't know what we had. Yeah, exactly. But maybe that's the example that some dumber GM, because there are still plenty of those in the NBA, will look at and go, ah, see – they're going to basically hit him with the relationship equivalent of I can fix him. I can fix him. Like, yeah. yeah. I mean, you did all that stuff wrong and Monty wasn't using him right. And you know, they should run an offense through into which I say, <laughs> good luck. Um, <laughs> so there, I think there is still a possibility for a decent return in a trade for Aiton. I don't know if you're going to get a better player than him. I don't know how you would ever do that, but if you can get, you know, if he's a B plus and you can get two B minus players and like a C guy for depth off the bench, maybe that's what this team really needs. I don't know. Okay. There's a lot of there's rumors and chatter that apparently the um, Blazers want him, and but apparently they don't want to trade number three away. Which I would be like, yeah, let's um let's make that happen some way somehow. Call that in to the league office. You want to give us Nurkic and number three and whatever other cap filler? Cool, but that's not gonna happen. They're not that dumb. So, I would think so, but they also you know have made some other questionable trades. So maybe they are that dumb because I mean they gave away Norman Powell for nothing. So, yeah. you know, it, there's precedence, <laughs> different regime now, but still, I, any team is prone to making mistakes, just some more than others. So when yeah. we hire Isaiah Thomas to be our head coach, then we'll know that this is egg on our face. Let's, um, 
please don't even speak that into existence. I mean, there was a mention of Isaiah might be around the franchise a little bit, and the fans basically had a revolt. So yeah, no, thank you. If it was bad enough, he was terrible at his job. But then there's the other stuff with his time with the Knicks, That's, which if you can do bad, if you do bad things, but then you're really good at your job, people are generally willing to overlook it. If you're bad at your job and you did illegal things where you had to have some ten million dollar settlement, yeah, don't. Uh, don't do that. <laughs> What's the saying that they used to say about the NFL where it was like if somebody like if Mussolini ran a a four three forty, he would find <laughs> his way on an NFL team or something like that. You know, insert Hitler, insert whatever, you know, awful yeah. person. Yeah. yeah. Talent will always trump as long as you haven't done something truly awful. Like, know, yeah. Ray Rice hung in the league four yeah, years yeah. after his incident, you know, whatever. Yeah. Um, I will say real quick, since I mentioned head coach, they did fire Monty Williams. We kind of even talked about that possibility before the break and it's tough. I mean, I had a conversation with my stepdad when he was visiting when I was out of town for that week, and it's like, does he deserve the lion's share of the blame? No, I don't think so. I, it's convenient for us to want to point the finger at any one person or thing because that's how we operate. We want to find something to blame. I think he deserves a plurality of the blame because he was not a good in-game coach, and his X's and O's were lacking in many ways, but there's still no questioning the individual, the culture he brought. So, like, I was a little sad to see the news, but I also feel like even the best head coaches lose locker rooms if for no other reason than the atrophy of time to where you just kind of start tuning somebody out. I mean, Rick Carlisle is probably one of the best coaches in the league. And eventually Dallas is like, yeah, no, like you got to go. The only exception, ironically enough, is still in the playoffs, which is Eric Spolstra. And I guess Popovich, but like even then it's a little bit different. You know, Popovich is kind of like the the elder statesman of sorts. So it's kind of like he's just going to be there until he's done. Spolstra, you know, when the Heat kind of took a a mini step back a few years ago, they could have looked in another direction and they didn't. The point is, long-term head coaches are hard to find. We'll see what comes out of this search. There's some interesting candidates. And if it's Doc Rivers, I'll blow my brains out. (laughs) I I don't get the appeal of Doc Rivers at all. Like, I don't understand why he was so valuable to the Clippers that they wanted him 10 years ago to bring him in to be, you know, Lob City's mentor. Uh, I don't understand how Philadelphia thought he was their fix after that, because, I mean, the Clippers had all the talent in the world. And yeah, they had some outside distractions, but the fact that they never even got to the conference finals was kind of nuts to me. Um, Then... Now he gets let go by from Philadelphia, despite having the MVP on his team, despite having a, a solid lead in the second round of the playoffs and the big bugaboo of Milwaukee out of the playoffs, and yet doesn't beat Boston after I think they were up. They won Game Five, didn't they? They were up three two and lost Game Six and Seven. Is that right? I think so. Yeah. So again, he's got the history of blowing leads. The three he's blown three one leads. He's blown three two leads. I just don't get it. He seems like not a guy that players want to play for and guy that hasn't had a lot of success so six and ten in game sevens in his career which first of all is a ton of game seven 16 and that's five more game seven losses than any coach in nba history which probably won't surprise you because again it's really hard just to make that many playoffs let alone that many game sevens however your point absolutely is correct i think i can see why players might want to play for him i think he's sort of akin to monty in the sense that i think he's a good players coach like he gets along with people he's got the personality type for that I don't think he's horrible at the X's and O's side, but the fact remains that it just seems like every year you cut to the sideline and he's looking incredulous about what's happening in front of him. You yeah. know, it's akin to what Jason Kidd said earlier this year. He was like, I'm just watching. It's like, no, you're the head coach. You have the ability to affect change. Like, yes, ultimately it's up to the players and their performance. And that's the reason why Monty does not deserve all the blame because 
plenty of people in the Suns organization let us down. However, so, you can do something. You can call timeouts yeah. when teams are going on runs. You can drop plays and timeouts to get some points on the board. You can do stuff. And Doc doesn't seem to be the best at doing stuff. That's why the idea of Ty Lue, I think, fits so well if we were able to get him. Because, like, I think you said it earlier, like, Monty Williams, the human being, my God, I, I can't have more respect for a guy, I, I think, because he's seems just like a good dude, gets along with people, wants to be kind of like a fatherly figure, but also, you know, friendly. He seems like a great guy. But I was saying it after game two of the Nuggets series. I just, after seeing this offense bang our head against the wall, I just don't know that he's the right X and X's and O's guys. And with basically coaches on the floor and Booker, Durant, and Paul, think you need a guy to oversee that and be able to work together to implement the game plan that Monty didn't have. Yeah, and to adjust when things aren't going your way. I think adjustment is a term that's overused in the NBA because it's just, if you're not winning, then make adjustments. Obviously, that's how you win. You just make adjustments. It might not, it, there could be a talent gap or something. No, 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 no. Just make adjustments. Just adjust. However, so, there are certainly adjustments to be made, like we talked about. Who's defending whom? Are you going over screens or under? Are you trapping? Are you showing? Are you like, there's plenty of different tactical approaches to basketball. It's part of why it's so fun. And it felt like there were certainly times, especially over the last two years, where Monty was just kind of like, well, this is what worked for us. So we're just going to keep going to it, even though it's not working at the moment. And it's not just, you know, you don't want to overreact to one game or one bad performance or whatever, but there have been glaring problems that needed to be fixed. And at the very least, I don't think we tried to fix them. Maybe they couldn't have been fixed. But the two things I go back to are we played a Kogi down the stretch as the fifth starter in that lineup and then immediately threw that aside in game one against the Clippers and the whole series. I have no idea why that was the reasoning. We didn't know we were going to play the Clippers. Well, then mess around with Craig in the regular season just to get a feel for that five-man unit and see how it is, right? And then the stuff with Ross and Warren in particular, I it baffles me. The fact that it happened yeah. twice where Monty had to, on two separate occasions in the span of three and a half weeks, be like, yeah, I, I, he, he, he played really well. He gave us a spark. I should give him more minutes. Twice, to me, was like, I, what are we doing here, man? Yeah. And it, he talked about defense and that have to live with the consequences. Well, you know, our, we basically gave up the same amount of points playing him and not playing him. I mean, I, I'll give Shamit some credit as far as defense. He did hustle and had some success against Murray more so I think the Lakers had against Murray but when out of six games Shama had one game where he actually hit some shots you gotta generate some offense somehow other than your two main guys and you can't just rely on Booker and Durant scoring 80 points to be your only method of winning a game and that's why when I look at other coaches like Spolster or Lou I mean maximizing your talent is something that I don't think gets talked about enough in the NBA, being able to see exactly what you have and how to put them in the right position to succeed. And those two seem to be the best at it is Spolster. Yeah. Yeah, And it's about, you know, not having skin in the game about managing ego, you know, like the the Lakers after D'Angelo Russell was minus 79. Well, net minus 79. He was a minus like 56 and they were plus 23 without him on the floor. Uh, after he was minus 79 in three games, they finally went, hmm. Because I remember hearing about Darvin Ham's adjustments. It was all the rage about, you know, with Rui Hachimura guarding Jokic for six possessions in game one. Oh, Darvin Ham's got it all figured out. It's like, no, he hasn't figured out shit. They were down 3-0 before he finally figured out D'Angelo Russell was actively hurting them. So, like, sometimes the signs can be blatantly obvious. And because you're worried about hurting someone's feelings or 
balancing the mood of people on the team or whatever. You don't make the call. I, I don't somebody's going to make the call. I have heard that so, so much where it's like, all right, our big adjustment is that this guy's going to guard this guy. It's like, dude, if you didn't figure that out prior to the series, it's not going to, it's not going to fix everything. It's going to maybe have a short-term effect, but it's not going to fix it. Like Landale played great defense on Jokic for about five quarters. Mm-hmm. And he was active. And it wasn't like when he when, when Jokic started to figure it out more, it wasn't like it was because Landale wasn't playing hard or trying or whatever. The difference is he's not very good. There's mm-hmm. a reason why he sometimes didn't play at all. And I like Jock. I hope he comes back. But like, mm-hmm. there's a reason why he's not the starter. And for all the critics of Aiton, and we've been among them recently, you could tell when he wasn't on the floor in Game 6, our defense was fucking terrible. Mm-hmm. Because he's mm-hmm. the anchor. And for all of his faults... He covers up a lot of those holes with his ability to kind of guard the perimeter, et cetera. Like his his ability to guard the pick and roll at the point of attack is unlike almost any other big in the NBA. So when these things happen, there's usually a clear reason. We can see it as fans, and we're stupid sometimes. We think we have things figured out, and we don't. But sometimes the answers are exactly what they are. It's Occam's razor. It's Look at this thing. Look at D'Angelo Russell. They're going at him on every play, and he's shooting one of eight. Maybe he should play less. I don't know. Well, and that's something that Jason Kidd did last year when we played him in the series. Which, by the way, how does Jason Kidd still have a job? Like yeah, that yeah. was right. It doesn't it, make any sense. It takes three years. Uh, the first year it seems like it's going well because this happened in Milwaukee and in Dallas. So the first year it goes well, and the second year it starts to fall apart, and everybody goes, uh, "I don't know about that." And then he's going to get fired next year. It's just after how that season ended, and the fact that they might lose Kyrie as well. It's just like, oh God. But it ended um, on purpose. Don't you see? They lost so they could keep the number ten pick. Glad that they got that. Um anyway, the then looking at uh his what his adjustment was though is we had that whole series where we went at Luca defensively. Like it was like, okay, there were jokes about Luca's the pigeon. You're the one that you're going after. You're the he's the mark. And then what did Jason Kidd do after getting you know burned by that? Oh hey, why don't we just blitz Devin Booker and force someone else to beat us. And Monty didn't adjust to that at all because they just started being like, okay, Booker's got it. Two guys, boom, move the ball around. Oh, you can't? Oh, now you can't target Luka anymore. Hmm. And, and a little bit of that was also personnel because even yeah. if they had figured out, okay, well, we got to figure out a better way to get people on this four-on-three outlet from the trap. It's like, okay, well, who's that on that roster? <laughs> Probably should have been more of Chris Paul, but, you know, whatever. The point is, like you said, I... <laughs> Sometimes the answer is right in front of you, and for the coaches that fail to find that adjustment, the most obvious ones, it's going to be a short-lived experiment. Yeah, probably should have been Mikhail. If we could just take today Mikhail and transport him back to that Mikhail, we'd probably have a championship. But whatever, you know, can't do that. So well, you know, if we could do that, we could bring 25-year-old Chris Paul over here. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> that would solve a lot of problems, too. So, sure I mean, would. we'll have more of the Suns across the offseason. It's going to be interesting around, you know, the trade deadline, the draft, not so much. But this is also going to be a head coach I mean, thing I, at some point. Unless we get the number three pick somehow. If we get the number three pick for I'll Aiden, the well, three pick. Stop. Well, if it, it, that means Scoot Henderson or uh, Brandon Miller, I mean, yeah, it's not going to happen. I know. I know. But Nick Nurse, Frank Vogel, although only Shams has Frank Vogel, so that's weird. Uh, a Kings assistant coach, one of the Suns' main assistant coaches, Kevin Young. I would personally like Nick Nurse out of all that, but we'll see, I guess. There's other teams interested in Nurse as well, since a few different high-octane opportunities opened up at the same time. Mm-hmm. I'm uh, very much, of the, I said that before Monty was even fired, that I thought Nick Nurse was the one I would probably want. Guy just won a championship a couple of years ago. Seems to be able to maximize talent. 
who knows? But it all depends on also who we get um, out of uh, this season because we're going to have a lot of roster turnover. He's also cut from the Tom Thibodeau cloth of playing players 42 minutes a night, so we'll see how that goes. Mm, but, well, you know, that's great when you have a 35-year-old Kevin Durant. Perfect. Yeah, Sounds great. Go well, I think, especially if you're surrounded with no death. Uh-huh. What could go wrong? But we'll dissect all that as it comes up over the course of the offseason. You know, there's a long road ahead. Hell, the finals don't even start till June 1st. And, you know, that they, they could go as late as June 18th if that were to actually get extended and not be the shortest series of all time. At the very least, we know there's going to be some basketball between now and then because Boston did end up winning, so they're not going to both get swept. Congratulations to Boston for maybe getting gentlemen swept instead of swept. Good for them. No, I mean, but it's Chris, they go back home now, and they're going to win at home. Then all you got to do is win game six, and then you got game seven at home, and anything can happen. And then everybody will say what a good series it was. Yeah, I hate when people do this. It's like, well, this could happen. And then if this happens, then this could happen. Like, yeah, that's, you know, your odds decrease each variable you enter into this equation, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, it would be a great comeback if it ever happened, and everyone would say what a great series it was. But, man, it's... (laughs) There's a reason it never happened. teams know about coming back from 3-0. Yeah, one of them. Yeah, a long time ago. <laughs> yeah. So let's talk a little Tears of the Kingdom. Uh, since we're right. going to cry over the Suns, because at least for me and Sean, I think we both felt like the writing was on the wall. I didn't, I, you know, it's funny. I wasn't pissed. Game six, I wasn't that mad. Game seven last year, I was I was catatonic. And, and one of the playoffs six. this year, you were catatonic. Because I saw the, I knew, I knew game one that we weren't going to move. I, I like, I just saw it right there. I'm like, okay, no, we, we aren't the championship contender I thought we were from game one even though we made it farther we weren't that so that's why i was pissed that game anyway here's the kingdom some people have played it more than 10 million already well they've bought it maybe they haven't played it i don't know i haven't watched them but a lot of people bought this game and that shouldn't be surprising nintendo's pedigree when it comes to its first party titles has always been pretty solid turns out you know the major heavy hitters have always delivered in spades and um, it turns out that if you take a game that was already successful, and many, not me, would call the best game ever made, and then improve on it and throw in, like, the impossible machine and just let players play around with physics and build shit and have fun and crucify Koroks, that you just take a formula that's really strong and make it better. Now, I think there are certainly a couple things that are going to give me pause on this game, but we'll get to those in a minute. So with... Early impressions, I'm about four hours in. I haven't had a lot of time via like travel and whatnot, but just with the very beginning, so you know, the prologue and maybe the first time you touched down at Hyrule Spoiler and maybe the depths. Like, What are your thoughts so far on what you've gotten through? So, yeah, I've gotten through the prologue, gotten down to Hyrule. I haven't got any touched the depths yet. Um, it's interesting what I'm feeling with this game is that the beginning was actually really difficult because... I felt like I was playing Breath of the Wild still because it looks identical for the most part and, you know, new land and stuff. So I would jump off a ledge and then hit the button to do the paraglider. I'm like, where's my paraglider? Where is it? The whole intro. I was like, this is, I hate this. Um, And then playing through the first part was actually, I thought, frustrating i get that you got to teach these new mechanics and that it was it was there and you had to go through this whole thing to teach that i didn't find it as fun however once i got down to hyrule i did feel a lot of this okay this is breath of the wild i really enjoyed it this is the same land a lot of the same characters are showing up i'm coming through a lot of the same type of um notes but in a different twist it's kind of interesting to see the aftermath of hyrule when calamity ganon fell and how it's 
changed since then. So I have actually really enjoyed this part when I've gotten down to high roll and been able to like start getting through the game. I haven't done any dungeons, any parts like that. It's interesting that you're kind of just finding shrines out in the distance and marking them again. So I, I, I've got a lot to go on this still, but so far I have been enjoying my time. Yeah, I'm kind of with you. Prologue super interesting. I always appreciate when games give you a reason to depower in sequels. Or even just reboots of a sort. Like, hell, Metroid Prime, you start off as a pretty well-packed Samus and then get slammed into a wall and Ridley and blah, 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 and you lose all your power-ups and have to get them back. So, you know, when the game boots up and you have 30 hearts, you're like, oh. <laughs> now, you know it's not going to last. Or at the very least, if it does, they're not going to mean anything because damage is going to scale somehow or whatever. Like, it's, 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 a, it's a facade. But either way, it's like, oh, this is cool. I have all my hearts. I got my full three-ring stamina meter. This is, sword. This, yeah, this is all well and good. Having a time, just walking around with the princess. I like their interactions, so this is all great. And it does a good job of kind of just building up to that moment. It creates some problems with that same moment where it's like, okay, so I had 30 hearts. It took me all of them not to die. So when they talk about like, well, you might have to go after that thing again. You're like, I don't think so because I have four hearts now. So I probably just get evaporated if I try. But anyways, that's game mechanic stuff. Story-wise, it makes sense. Here's my question yeah. for you. You mentioned like it's interesting to see the world again, and it does obviously have many familiar trappings from Breath of the Wild. Is this really a sequel? It feels... Is it? Because I don't feel like too many characters are actually acknowledging anything that happened around the Calamity. It's interesting. Um... Yeah, you make a good point. That almost feels like a continuation more so than a sequel. Um, but it's also the all the characters or the majority of the characters in that game grew up with the calamity. They basically it's out there. Yeah, it's there. And outside of the people of Hyrule, it didn't seem to actually affect the towns that much. And the towns don't seem to be affected that much anymore, as long as you stayed away from Hyrule. And now Hyrule Castle's in the sky. And everyone's not really effective at outside of Hyrule. So I don't know how much it actually affected everybody. It was like this looming threat that's not there anymore. But if the looming threat never appeared, eh, I don't know. So I don't know. I, I, you make a valid point. But also, it, I don't know how much people actually cared about it in that town. Yeah, I guess that is part of it. And look, I mean, to be clear, I, I think Nintendo's done a smart thing here in that they're not tying everything to it. So you don't have to have played it. Although a ton of people played Breath of the Wild because it's on, other than the 3DS, maybe the most accessible piece of uh, hardware that's ever been made, right? Like the Switch is ubiquitous. Yeah. But it is a little bit weird sometimes because it's like when people see you now, it's like, oh, hey, it's Link. You're Zelda's friend. You guys went adventuring in the depths of underneath Hyrule Castle and then you, weren't, you were gone for a while. And it's not like, hey, it's Link, that guy who saved everyone. Yeah. <laughs> recently. <laughs> It, it well, happened. I, I was there. I, I and like the divine beasts are just like gone. You're like, well, they were massive. How did they just? Did they just float off into the atmosphere? Like, what the fuck? Yeah. So I mean, I, it, it's quibbling to be clear, and I'm not saying like I've detracted from my experience, but it is a little bit strange. Probably the right call just to make it accessible for people who somehow didn't play Breath of the Wild and are jumping into this, which still kind of boggles my mind. But at the very least, it's offset by some other really good decisions. I mean, look re-exploring Hyrule still feels pretty good because it's what you liked about the experience. And you also have the sky areas, which are not huge, but add to it. And you mm -hmm. have the depths, which is basically the size of Hyrule, but now underground and all new. 
So if you enjoy the exploration aspects and like you said, pinging temples and looking at weird enemy combinations and building stuff and throwing it at people, like that's all well and good. And that's one of my favorite parts of the game. So on that respect, I'm like, this is great. I want more of this. Yeah. I hadn't, um, hmm. I, I hadn't thought about, uh, I don't know, the train of thought. So you know what? I suck at that, but, um, yeah, I, I, I've never thought about. Okay, you just shut me up. Cool. I'm, I'm not there anymore. That's I'm, fine. Pick, the viewers okay. will figure it out eventually. It's I'm making fine. sure that we I don't get any more noises from my work email. That's fine. Okay. Um, You'll be okay. back now. So, all right, there we go. I exist. Yeah. Um, so the going through the game, yeah, it feels so much like it. Um, it's amazing. Yeah, like you said, it's that so many people like they want to make it accessible. I sure wish they did have the. Divine Beast just like in the background. It would be better. I never even thought about that till you mentioned it. Now it's all I'm gonna think about. So thanks for that, by the way. Um, but again, overall, they're doing a lot of the things that they did well. They're throwing it in there and they're giving people a choice now. They're letting you kind of like the way I played this is that when I first got down to Hyrule, I'm like, okay, there's some wood and some wheels, and I'm gonna try to make a car. And I failed miserably at it. I'm like, hmm. I suck at this. I'm going to play the game. Meanwhile, there's people out there who are going to be like, hmm, what can I possibly make? And spend dozens of hours just crafting stuff and meticulously going through. I don't have the patience for that. I just don't. I never have in my gaming experience. So I'm going to go enjoy the game and the story and have fun with it. And if you enjoy making all these cool things and I get to see the fruits of your labor on YouTube, great. I am all for that. So I think they've struck a really good balance in this. And something that's going to last because Breath of the Wild did that with some of the crazy physics stuff. They had some of the master mode stuff. They struck this, hey, this had some longevity on social media. This will, this one will have even more of that, I, I believe. I think one of the smartest things they've done, and I'm loath to admit this because I still love a well-crafted Zelda dungeon, is they've doubled down on exactly what you said, which is, okay, here's a puzzle. There's probably like eight different ways to solve this, and then y'all are going to come up with like six more we didn't anticipate. Yeah. You're going to combine things with your new ability to stick things to other things and then power them up with different abilities, and you're going to come up with solutions that we couldn't have even dreamed of. We came up with several to make sure that there was, you know, a way to figure it out. But now it's even more open-ended than it was in Breath of the Wild, and that's one of the game's biggest strengths, no doubt. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. it does open up for creativity, like you said, whether that's in puzzle solving or combat, which there are some ways to do as well, or just fucking around. And mm -hmm. as an added bonus, it's even more speedrunner-friendly than the first game was because, once again, there's the final area. You, <laughs> once you get through the prologue and you jump out of the sky, you're like, there it is. Probably shouldn't go there yet if you're a casual player, but you could if you wanted to. Go check it out and die. You'll learn something. But if you're really good or you really know how to exploit the game, you can also use that to your advantage. So it's kind of like a sandbox, which is a word we used to describe like Grand Theft Auto with, right? Like, oh, this is big open world and you can do all this stuff in it. But it's never been more sandy than this. There's so much you can do in so many different ways to approach it. On the fact that you've got the layers, you've got the completely different experiences on in Hyrule, in the sky, underground, like you've got all these different things that will fulfill <clears throat> your desire to explore, will fulfill your desire to just go through the story, which will fill your desire to experience new things. There's just so much to it. And again, I had a hard time at the very beginning of this wondering like, God, am I going to like this game? And then really when I got into the teeth of it and stopped trying to 
you know, make this my own and just said, okay, look, there's a story here. I'm going to go explore this story and figure this out. I'm going to figure out what this gloom stuff is. I'm going to go try to fuse a couple of weapons together and figure out, hey, I've got things that'll work that don't break as easily. Ah, that's one thing that now I've thought about. They kept the breaking mechanic, but changed it in such a way that you're like, okay, we know you don't like things that break on you, and you maybe got this great sword. Well, how about I give you 15 items that you can attach to this stick, and then you just make your weapon, and when it breaks, you got another stick hanging out right there and 15, 14 more weapons to hook onto it. It's kind of genius in a way. Yeah, and in some ways... This is one of the parts I'm still not sure how I feel about it. I'll have to give my full impressions when we do an actual review, which will probably be in a few weeks. It's going to take us a while. Um, I'm with you most of the way because I think it is better. I think it is nice that you can, again, just be like, well, all the weapons have corroded for some reason, so you just are going to have to you know, make do with sticks and axes, and you know, here's, here's a stick on a stick, which is one of my favorite things to do is just put a stick on a stick and then make it a longer right. stick. It's so um, great when he puts it away, and it's like digging into the ground yeah, while you're it running it. to the ground, you're like, ah, working as intended. Um, <laughs> it also does, in a way, make the weapons feel even less meaningful than before, yes. because now, obviously, there are plenty of special weapons that have a different effects. You know, some of them are better when you attach Zonai technology to them or whatever, right? But then it's like, they're also, it's just, I'm just swinging whatever I have on hand. There's really no difference between it. Yes, different weapons hit differently. You have like long, like fucking spear type weapons and big broad swords and little swords and all this stuff. Right? Great, sure. But at the same time, I'm like now I'm not even really paying attention to what I'm using. It's just whatever's on hand. How am I full in my inventory? Okay, then I'll wait for something to break. I'll pick something else up. I'll stick a new thing on top of it and we'll just go. So I'm like, on the one hand, it's better. And on the other hand, I've never paid less attention to it than I have now. But it, it removes a bit of that that discomfort and anger that players felt when the good weapon did break. Because it's like, all right, well, I've got another rock on a sword, so it's okay. And I've got a, three bro, you know, rusty tra- traveler swords, but then I've got one with a rock and then one with this uh, with the sharp zone eye technology on it. So if I've got to go break open some minerals, I've got my rock sword to do it. And if I want to go chop down a tree, I've got my axe sword to go chop down. So you can kind of keep your weapons in a better way, knowing what situation to use what in, and then you have your fighting weapons aside from that. So it's a little easier to manage in a way because there were some times where I was just like, in Breath of the Wild, where I'm like, oh, I'm never going to use this sword because it'll break eventually, and that defeats the whole purpose of having something good. Yeah. Whereas now, my favorite weapons and the ones I remember, the ones that don't make any sense, like sticking a torch on a broadsword and then using that to light up, you know, whatever, a hot air balloon. Be like, yep, this is my sword torch. That's the thing that I'm doing. Or just the fact that the game encourages you to try stuff because, you know, the mm-hmm. fuse options, like, all right, well, you can't get away with everything. And if you can, sometimes we're going to shrink it to a more convenient size. So you might attach that big wood plank to your sword, but it's going to be a little bit shrunk down when you do it because well, that wasn't make sense. I still think my favorite was like, you know, it's very early on in high roll, and it's like, hey, there's an explosive bear over there. Can I attach that to my sword? I can't attach. Okay, that's cool. Oh, but if I swing it, I'm going to die. Ah, oh, shit. Ah, oh, I can't unattach it now. Ah, oh, fuck. So Man, like, just, I, again, just experimenting and messing around with stuff. So I threw it at an enemy instead. Like, this is all great. I love the creativity. I didn't even I should have tried that because I had a whole section where there, I flipped to the top of a skull and there was a whole bunch of explosive barrels and one of those giant bobbikins. I'm like, huh, how am I going to kill this guy? Arrows don't do much and I don't have enough bomb flowers. That would have been great to attach the thing to a sword and just throw it at him. <laughs> yeah. And I do miss the bombs a little bit. 
Because it yeah. was fun having a limitless supply of those to chuck and then watch them roll down hills and into crevices and be able to detonate them when you wanted. Like, that's the one item where I'm kind of like, aw. But the other yeah. new additions are all really solid. And again, just the ability to stick stuff to other stuff and the fact that it gets more and more elaborate and detailed as you go. It's a massive win. And even though they reused the engine from Breath of the Wild and many of the resources like we talked about, you can see why this game took so long in development games in general do in the modern age but this in particular i'm like yeah no i can see why this took six years that's fair <laughs> the many many things can break and the amount of testing i imagine that they had to do on this so you didn't have this game breaking thing with this level of flexibility that they've put into this game is kind of crazy to me i mean i know i've solved a couple of the shrines in ways that they probably didn't intend me to because of just brute force and so it's kind of cool in a way yeah so, like, we have a ways to go. Neither one of us is super far into it. Sean, I think, is now playing it. Now he's on his cruise, but I don't I don't think he started it at all on our trip. Cause he's been... That's a weird sentence, by the way. Oh, he's on a cruise, so he's playing video games. I get the idea of, like, when I'm having some time to relax and maybe on the airplane or if you're driving, playing there. If I'm on a cruise, I don't want to play video games. I want to go do something cruise-related. I don't know. Well, you're wrong. Well, no, I'm going to tell him that. Because he's got, you know, wild. I mean, he's going to sit in his room. I, mean, I don't know. I don't like that. I like to explore. But so I'm an extrovert. We'll have a review of that in full with spoilers, all of them, in, I would guess, about a month. Because um, all three of us need to beat it. And even maybe potentially like Michaela or Doug could also join on that. Depending on where they are with it, I don't know that Michaela will have beaten it in time. Because I think she's going to do more cruise stuff than he is. Um, but in any case, we'll get to that soon, as soon as we all beat it. And we'll do a full review on that because it deserves it. Uh, have you seen Guardians 3 yet? Not yet. I, I I want to, if not this weekend, the next weekend. Okay, because we'll do that soon. Sean and I saw that, and I have thoughts. I've saved my one hot take. I haven't told him it yet, so I can save it for the cool. show and farm those clickbait reactions, baby. You can, you can blow his mind. It's actually not that hot of a take, if I'm being honest, but I do think I finally realized what's dropped me from the MCU. So stay tuned for that. It's going to be fun in the next episode or the one after that, depending on when Dave sees it. We'll have a game show to do soon. We haven't done that in a minute. And I have another idea for a tier list at some point. So once again, just teaming with ideas. And that's, you know, assuming we don't have other stuff like emergency sons cast when they hire Doc Rivers or, you know, whatever the hell. Like there's always stuff that pops up when we least expect it. I can't imagine what emergency suncast when we hire Doc Rivers is and Chris just sits there crying into the microphone for the entire hour. Right. That's, that's, that's the scary. hardest part is I don't even know what I would say. Uh, yeah, it would be. You don't often get me speechless, but that would be one where I would just be like, "I don't how why why how what." I don't think I, I don't. I think this is that's not a situation for an emergency podcast. I think that's just we ignore it until maybe something good happens, and then be like, "All right, well, I'm glad something good is happening." Yeah, and if the <laughs> roster is assembled around Durant and Booker, and it's awesome, maybe it doesn't matter as much who the head coach is, but I would still be sad. So, no, I don't actually think we would do that. But I was trying to think of what an example of a Suns thing would be. And it's either massive trade or weird head coach hire. Because I'm not really going to do it. Like, if it was Frank Vogel, which I don't think it's going to be. But I'd be like, okay, pretty good coach. We'll see how it goes. I, I don't I, I don't need to be like, i got to talk about that for an hour. If it's Ty Lue, we, we might do that one. Even then, I, I guess it, I, we could see. I don't even know what we'd trade for him. A second-round pick? Because <laughs> it's about all we can. <laughs> So anyways, plenty of stuff coming up. Should be back on a regular schedule for the foreseeable future. Uh, might miss a week in July because the 4th is a Tuesday, but we'll see what happens as we get closer to that because I have a parade to do that day, for example, among other things. But 
that's a month off. We'll see what happens then. In between episodes, you can find us at our website, ObjectionNetwork.com or YouTube.com slash ObjectionNetwork. Right now, we're continuing our top 25 Zelda songs. Perfectly timed, almost like we planned it. And we're getting towards the top 10 as we speak, so go check that out. We'll see you next time. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.